Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Tonight I want to continue in a theme that we've been exploring for the last few weeks. It's about using our spiritual abilities to see, hear, and understand. And I want to begin tonight by actually looking at some verses from the end of last week's Torah portion that speak to this. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to 29, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 through 4. And if you have a digital Bible, you don't really have to open it, but flick it or whatever you do to get it going. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 through 4. It starts this way. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great truths, those signs and great wonders. Now let's pause for just a second, and I want to point out um, something important about the Hebrew language and the language of Torah. In, in Hebrew, it's good to repeat certain things in order to draw our attention. Repetition is, is a way that Hebrew speakers and writers, they sort of make an extra emphasis. So it's not redundancy, it's not for a lack of uh, concise editing, it's for a point of precision in good Hebrew. Now, when there is repetition, it helps us establish a theme as well. And when you see certain words and phrases that are repeated, you can start getting an idea what's important that I need to focus on. So with that in mind, we've just, we just read one verse, two verses that had repetition. And there are two phrases or two words that are repeated. What's the first one? your eyes. Maybe that's from my translation and not from yours. Yeah, if you're following in your own translation, good luck. <laughs> your eyes have seen. And then it says, with your own eyes you saw. So there's repetition about eyes and seeing. That's to draw our attention to this. Now that sets us up to verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. So it sounds confusing. Your eyes saw, with your own eyes you saw this, but you don't have eyes to see. The first mentions of eyes are physical eyes. Your natural physical eyes saw certain things. You saw it with your eyes. You didn't just hear someone tell you about it later. You were there and you saw it. But there's a problem. Your heart doesn't understand. Because your spiritual eyes aren't working. And your spiritual ears aren't working. You have not yet developed the kind of relationship with God that activates and develops your spiritual capacity. It's there 
but it's not working right. God needs to open something up so that your heart will understand. So you've experienced miracles that God's performed. You went through incredible trials and miraculous deliverances, but you still have not received a heart that understands or eyes that see and ears that hear. Now many people today, especially spirit-filled believers, have a theory that world revival depends on one and only one thing, and that is miracles. But the fact is, miracles by themselves are not sufficient. They are not adequate to bring true transformation. They may or they may not with people. As well, some people think if you would just experience God, his presence, then everything would fit in for you. But in fact, what Moses is saying is, you were there with God, you saw what God did, you experienced him, and you still haven't changed. Why? Because your heart does not understand. Because your eyes, your spiritual eyes, are not seeing clearly, and your spiritual ears are not listening clearly. You see, we can learn from this that neither miracles nor experience are sufficient in themselves. The miracles we see, the experiences that we have of God at work in our lives, those are not guarantees of transformation. What's missing, Moses puts his finger on. It has to do with how we interpret, how we understand, how we process, how we see it all, the way we hear it. All of this is essential. And when I say essential, I want to be really clear. Essential means absolutely necessary. It means indispensable. It means if you don't have it, then you don't have what you need. It's essential to have hearts that understand and eyes that see and ears that hear. Now, I've been speaking for several weeks about this capacity that we are all given by God, which is the spiritual ability to see, hear, and understand. We've been given that, but we need to develop that capacity. The fact that you have it initially does not mean that it's growing and becoming strong. It's our responsibility to learn how to develop these spiritual capacities. Now one of the ways that we can develop spiritual eyes that see and spiritual ears that hear and spiritual hearts and minds that understand may be surprising to you. It's by asking good questions. When we ask good questions of the Lord, about things that are really important to us, it can make a huge difference in our lives. I'll give an example. We can ask this question, Lord, what's going on in my life that I don't know how to understand and I don't know how to interpret? Maybe you've got some situations where you can't make sense of it yet. Well, you can ask the Lord, Lord, how, how do I need to interpret this? How do you want me to see it? What, what do you want me to understand? We can ask this question, Lord, what am I not seeing or understanding correctly? What am I blind to? What am I misunderstanding? Men and women who are married 
Have you had a conversation recently where one of you and then the other of you said, well, you don't understand what I'm saying. You misunderstand. Or we say it like this, you're not hearing me. One of the most powerful ways that you can make a relationship strong, healthy, and even healing or therapeutic is to listen carefully and then to tell the other person what you're hearing them say and the feeling that they have. And when you can distill and crystallize this and put it into words and say it to them and they go, yes, that's it, you feel understood. And that feeling of being understood is actually healing. And together it opens people up to process things in a truthful and honest way. On the other hand, I've had the experience of trying to do this uh, and try to distill and crystallize things with my wife and her with me. And I said, well, you're, you're saying, and I put it into words, and she said, no, that's not it at all. And rather than say, well, I swear you said this, because that will get you nowhere. I say, well, say it again, say it a different way. Let me ask you a question. You know, let me hear you. And then when I get it, she says, now you got it. Now you understand. Now, when we say to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. We can ask that question in two ways. One way is not productive at all. It's really the beginning of a complaint. It's, it's a rhetorical question that we don't expect an answer to. We're saying, Lord, why is this happening? What's wrong with everybody? Why aren't you doing anything? That's just a way of saying, wah. But we can ask another way, which is sincere. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. I have a friend who had a problem with, um, with addictive drugs. And one day he cried out to God and said, what did I do to deserve this? And for about six hours, the Lord answered him and explained how he got himself in that situation. And once he understood, he said, well, I'm ready to change. And he got set free, which is very rare for people who are addicted to drugs because the addiction is physical among other things. But he asked a question and he really wanted the answer. He got the answer. And he was strong enough to humble himself in light of what God showed him. So when we say, I don't understand why, it can be a wonderful opportunity for us to hear something. Or we can say to the Lord, I don't understand what this means. I think it means this. And the Lord might say, well, that, your understanding is wrong. It doesn't mean that at all. Lord, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Again, these can all be expressed as whining prayers of complaint, fetching with God in Yiddish. Or they could be sincere questions. Lord, I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. This is happening. 
and I don't know what I should do in light of it. What's my next step? What do, you, what do you see that I don't see? Lord, I don't understand how I'm supposed to feel about this, all of this. Once I, I was pastoring, I was, I was young, and I had a mentor in another city, and we had a regular appointment to talk together for a couple of hours every week in order to process things, and he would coach me and guide me. He was a wonderful listener, and he was full of compassion, very encouraging, and uh, really helped me uh, grow up. And one day I was just, I wanted to commiserate with him about how hard pastoring is. And so I told him about one person in particular who was just a pain in, pick the place and you'll be right. He, he was a pain in the neck all the way down. And he, he just wandered and was hard to, to keep track of. And, you know, he'd like disappear. And so I said to my mentor, you know, I'm just tired of chasing him around. And I expected to get this answer. Yes, I know, I know what you mean. It can be like that. And get this reassuring, you know, gentle help. And David Young, my mentor, said, well, that's a lousy attitude. He said, that doesn't sound like the heart of a shepherd. I actually needed to hear that. I didn't want to hear that, but I needed to hear that. I didn't so much need compassion. I needed correction. And he said it, and you know what that meant? I had to change how I felt about that person and that situation. I thought my feelings were correct. They weren't. They weren't honorable before God. And he sent a word to fix it. So it's a dangerous thing to ask God, how am I supposed to feel? But these are the kinds of questions we can ask the Lord, and they do require honesty and humility before God. And when we ask them, we can find out, are we ready to listen? Are our ears open? Can we open our ears to the Lord? Can we open our ears to trusted spiritual advisors and leaders and friends who, um, who have demonstrated to us their good intentions towards us and their love for us and their love for God, that they also have hearing ears? so that they can share with us something important. Um, if, if our ears are opened in this way, then we may be surprised when the Lord gives answers to such questions. And sometimes the answers are not what we want. Now with that in mind, I, I wanna switch to this week's Torah portion, Deuteronomy 29, still the same chapter, but moving ahead to verses nine through 12 in Hebrew and 10 through 13 in the English. And Moses wants to speak to the children of Israel in light of what we just read, because this is continuation from, from that. And he wants, he wants the children of Israel to, to develop ears that can hear. 
eyes that can see and hearts that can understand. Because he's just said, you know, it's not enough. You've seen, you've experienced miracles. You've seen the incredible power of God with your own eyes. You saw it all. And still, your heart's not really open. You're not processing things with a tender heart towards God. You're not seeing things in a spiritual way. You're not hearing things in a spiritual way. And so you're, you're, you're not quite ready. So Moses wants the children of Israel to overcome their, uh, their immaturity, to grow up some and to develop true character and to develop true spiritual capability using these spiritual senses. Now, as, as we're getting ready to read this passage, I was thinking about the fact that, that Moses wants the children of Israel to know where they are, where they've come from, and where they're going. And as I was innocently thinking about that during worship, I felt the Holy Spirit was reminding me of two uh, embarrassing situations. So one of them, well, they both had to do with driving. And I was in the driver's seat. So I was driving, and I didn't, I didn't know how to go. I was driving relatively randomly to try to get to a destination. I was making turns. I thought I knew how to get there, but in fact, I didn't. And after a while, Sandy said, shouldn't you just stop and ask for directions? And the voice of testosterone <laughs> cried out to her and said, no. And I came to the conclusion that testosterone may be given just so that men can keep going without asking directions. Well, I wouldn't stop and she said very gently, well, maybe you could stop and ask for directions. It's like, no, I'll find it. Well, eventually I got so frustrated, I stopped. We went to a gas station and I asked the guy for directions. He knew exactly where we needed to go. And so he said, well, you pull out, you make this turn, and then you go down, you know, like a mile, you make this turn. He went through all the details. I said, thanks so much. We start going out of the gas station. We get to the curb. You know, you got to turn. And I look at Sandy and I said, did he say turn right or left? <laughs> I couldn't remember anything he had said. <laughs> I didn't retain it all. I just started laughing. It was hilarious because I was still just as lost as I had been. And I actually had to, this is the utterly embarrassing part, I had to drive somewhere else and ask somebody else for directions. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know why the Holy Spirit would like remind me of that tonight, because I haven't thought of it for 20 years. And I'd like to forget it ever happened, but. So the other time we were driving in the DC area and there was all this traffic and honestly, I wasn't used to the big city and, and these feeder roads that go parallel to the highways. It, it was all confusing for me, but we had a map. 
if some of you don't know what a map is. <laughs> because you've never used one, you have GPS or something. This was before those days. Well, we have this big map, and I'm like losing my cool. I say to Sandy, tell me where to go. And she's holding the map. She says, I can't. I don't know where we are. <laughs> and I said, well, find out where we are. And I'm like calling out signs, you know, like, uh, I named the road, you know, and it's like, you know, it's a map this big, you know, how are you going to find? So she's turning the map, trying to orient herself, and it's like blocking my view. And I'm driving sort of uh, like an incompetent or like a menace or something. And then to my horror, I see a cop behind me with his lights on. Yikes. And I think, okay, this is probably gonna be an expensive ticket for reckless driving or something. You know, who knows how many people I've cut off or run off their eye. So, my heart's racing as we stop. I roll the window down, and in Virginia, it was in the Virginia section around D.C., the, the state troopers wait a little while. You know, they check your license plate, and they want to make sure they know who, who they're about to go to. And then they put on their state trooper hat, and then they open the door, and then they have this little special saunter, you know, <laughs> as they come towards you, so that dread can really fill your hearts. And he comes up, and he asks the question that they always ask. Do you know why I stopped you? <laughs> and I, I said to him, I, I don't know how fast we were going, and I don't know what else was going on, because we are just lost. And he said, yeah, I could tell. He said, you just looked like you needed help. And he said, where are you trying to go to? And I told him, and he said, okay, follow me. And he took us there, and that was all that happened. And so I was rescued by a state trooper who had mercy on me because we were so lost we didn't know where we were or how to get there. Well, in a way, as we're reading this next passage in Deuteronomy 29, the Lord is saying to Israel, you are so lost. You don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going. And so I want to help you. And there are some ways that Moses speaks to the children of Israel that are meant to build up Israel's capacity. Let me read to you the passage. Today you're standing, every one of you, before the Lord your God. Your heads, your chiefs, your tribes, your leaders, your officers, all the men of Israel, along with your little children, with your wives, your, your foreigners here with you in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. The purpose 
is that you would enter into the covenant of the Lord your God and into his promise which the Lord your God is making with you today so that he can establish you today for himself as a people. And so that for you he will be God. As he said to you, And as he promised to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. That's the the first part of the word. You see, Moses is expressing the purpose of this gathering. It's, It's a covenantal purpose. God's wanting to establish his covenant with these people. They've been born into it, but they haven't come into it. And he's saying that there's a covenantal purpose that's going to produce stability in each person's life, in their life of faith, in the life of faithfulness. So the Lord is saying he wants to establish you today for himself as a people so that for you he will be God. It's not just that he is the Lord, but you want to be able to say he is my Lord. He's not just our Lord. He's my Lord. He's authoritative. He's personal. He's loving. He's in position and in charge. The Lord wants to establish that we would be his people and that he would be our God, that that we would be solid with him. He says, for the sake, Laman Hakim, in order to raise you up to stabilize you so that you can stand and remain standing. It's an idea similarly expressed in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, where Paul says, for this reason, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to keep standing. So it's not stand your ground and then get destroyed. It's stand your ground, go through whatever you must, whatever is necessary, and remain standing to be his people so that he can be for you God, so that you have no one else and nothing else, one highest loyalty and love, and that is to the Lord. Now, as Moses is speaking, he wants to open up the hearts and the minds of the people, and he speaks in a way that is intended to help the people adjust their focus of attention. Because when you're lost, you don't know where you are. That was my situation. When you don't know where you are, you cannot get from here to there. You probably don't know where there is either. So he wants, Moses and the Lord want to develop the spiritual capacities of the children of Israel. So Moses wants them to take careful notice of several things that are around them that they may not have noticed or be thinking about. And one of them, the first one is diversity. And so he just drops this in at the beginning. He says, look around you and and look at who's there. It's not just the big wigs. It's not just the elite. It's not just the people of status. Everyone's here. Everyone counts. It's not just the men. It's the men and the women. It's not just the adults. It's the adults and the children. 
It's not just the children of Israel. It's those who were not born among you, but have joined themselves to you. It's not just the people who have high positions. It's the one who cuts the wood and, and hauls water, too. Everybody's here. Take a look. The Lord wants Israel to notice that it is his intention to incorporate and build a community out of everybody. He doesn't want just a few. He's not trying to find, quote, the cream of the crop. He's not just looking for the most highly trained or, or those who have the most social standing or the best education or have even the best experiences. He's looking for everybody. When you bring little kids, you're bringing people with limited experience. You understand that? By definition, they only have so many years of experience. But while that's going on, he wants everyone to be humble and to be welcoming because they're all in the same condition. They all are struggling with their hearts, with their ears, and with their eyes, spiritually. They're all struggling. And so he's saying, look around. Look around. Look at these different people. And I would say the same thing to you. Look around. And wherever you go and whenever you gather with us, look around and take notice of the diversity. Look at the people who are tall and the people who are short. Look at the people who have one color of skin and the people who have another color and another and another. Look at the languages. Listen for the different languages that uh, people have. Understand each other. And don't form little cliques where you gather together with homogeneous groupings of people just like you. Understand this, God's interested in everyone. And so he's saying, look around and see who's here. And take notice, it's not a mistake, it's not an accident, it's not because we're missing our target. That's what Moses is saying. It's because the right people are here. All of us. Now what he's wanting is this. In observing the diversity, that everyone there would start saying, wow, I didn't even notice this person. Or, wow, I was giving no honor to the foreigners. Or, I was suspicious of anyone in leadership or whatever the attitude is, so that the hearts can be changed. Look at the diversity. And then Moses wants them to take careful notice of their past. So he points it out, look back. You see, sometimes we can't understand anything because we don't know where we've come from and we don't know who helped get us there. And so he says, look back and remember what God has said before. Remember those who have gone before us. Because this helps us understand something. We did not blaze the path. We're continuing on a path that many others have pioneered. And so Moses says, remember your ancestors. And that's a, a way of saying, remember your parents, remember your grandparents, all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. 
But don't stop with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because the Lord says, I'm trying to establish covenant with you. So if you think about it carefully, you'll understand the phrase Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is meant to represent all who had been faithful in the covenant. Abraham and Sarah, and Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Remember them and their their families and remember that this covenant started back then and it's moved forward and there's been a line of people from them to you and that's why you're here. It's not because you were such hot business. I mean, think about this. Think about Abraham and the integrity that he had and the faith that he had and the character and the capacity he had that God could trust him enough to make a covenant with him and a promise to extend him to multiple generations, unbroken generations of faithfulness. I mean, would it be that all of us had some of that, that we not only embraced, but that we reflected, that we passed on to others, who passed on to others, who passed on to others, faithfulness. Remember God's prophetic promises to them. You remember that. It will help you. So looking back is so important. And taking notice of those who have gone before you with appreciation is so important. When you don't do it, you know what? You're just looking myopically with nearsightedness right in front of you. And then you see the problems and the things that easily get your attention. But there's no perspective. Where have we come from? How did we get here? The third thing Moses is doing is he's saying take careful notice of the future. And so he points it out. And he says, look forward, look ahead. He says, I'm not making this covenant. Now we go to verse uh, 14. I'm not making this covenant and this oath only with you. Rather, I'm making it both with him who's standing here with us today before the Lord our God and also with the one who's not yet here with us today. And then he tells the children of Israel, think about your children and the subsequent generation. So it's really clear he doesn't mean there are people who are just absent. They haven't been born yet. There are generations to come. There are coming generations. And he's saying to Israel, be faithful. Pass on all that you can. Live for God and teach others to live for God. There's a future and God's moving forward. And he wants us to go with him and he wants us to bring others with us. So that's his message, and it requires what? A heart. What does it require? Ears. What does it require? Eyes. It takes all of it. If you don't hear it, if you don't see it, then your heart won't understand it. If you see and hear it, but your heart doesn't understand, if you leave the heart out, you'll come up with an interpretation that makes sense. It just won't be the right interpretation. It requires the heart. Thus, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. It starts with the heart. It doesn't end there. It goes all the way to the mind. and It 
just shows how, if, how important it is to get our hearts joined to God. A heart that's not joined to God, but behavior that is, will end up deteriorating into religiosity and ultimately it'll be vulnerable to hypocrisies of all kinds. Taking outward forms that others can see that look one way but aren't. And so getting the heart right, and, and Moses is addressing that. And if you read on, you'll, you'll see in chapter 30 that it's necessary to have a heart that's been circumcised by the Lord. A heart that um, the spiritual hardness and outer hardness has been removed so that the heart can be really open and tender towards the Lord. And that's a collaborative work. Only God can do it, but he only does it with people who want it done. So it requires our wanting in his doing. You can't circumcise your heart effectively. You can want it effectively. And one of the effective ways of wanting is to get to the point of frustration where you say, I can't fix my own heart. And that is one of the ways that God uses to draw people to himself. It's the pouring out of the gift of repentance that leads to life. Because in that place we say, I want a heart for God, I just can't make it happen. I'm not passive, I'm not neutral, I want a heart for God, but my heart doesn't work right. I need a new heart. I need to be created all over again, round two. And when we come to that place, then repentance makes sense. It's turning away from everything that pulls us away from God. It's redirecting ourselves and going in God's direction. It doesn't matter how far you, away you are. It matters what direction you're going in when you make that turn. It means listening and obeying to the point where God can say, the only remedy for this with your repentance is to start to do what I say. Here's, here's something. Open your mouth and acknowledge I am the Lord. Open your mouth and acknowledge that, that you've fallen so short that you, not, you don't just make mistakes, you sin. And in fact, you can't help it. You try your best, but you can't fix the problem. And you know that you need forgiveness, and so ask for it. I think as hard as it is for men to ask for directions, it's hard for everyone to say, I'm wrong. Especially to say to the Lord, I am wrong. I need your help to humble ourselves before God. It's important to open our hearts and our minds to read the scriptures so that we can find out what to do. I remember when I read that after you repent and you believe you should be immersed in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, good, I'll take the Holy Spirit. What about water? No. I'm a Jew. We don't do that. I'm Jewish. That's the worst thing I could possibly do. I'm not going to do it. 
So I tried to make a deal with God. I will improve certain things on a faster schedule than you were expecting. <laughs> and I started working on those things, sincerely. And as I was going through the list, it's like, yeah, but the problem is I'm still, I'm still rebelling against him being in charge. Oh, yeah, but I'll fix this. I'll fix that. Yeah, but just don't tell me to do something I don't want to do. If I agree, of course. <laughs> and I got to the point where I realized I couldn't fix myself this way. And it took me months of trying to. And then finally I said to the Lord, you know what? Your word has authority. I will be immersed in the name of Yeshua. And I was. And within 24 hours, all hell broke loose. <laughs> My family found out I had not covered my tracks. Um, I was disinherited. I was alienated from my family, uh, which lasted for almost seven years. And, but we still had to see each other and show kindness to each other and work through it. But it took seven years to get over that. My, my mother thought I had either lost my mind or become a Nazi, which would be the same thing. So it was tough. And all that came because I was immersed in water and they found out. But I had counted the cost. And rather than saying, I knew it, I should never have done this, I said, okay, Lord, I'm still gonna walk with you. Because I counted the cost before I did it. Took me a while, but I did count the cost. Well, as we're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, the days of awe and Yom Kippur, it's a time to, to say to the Lord, I wanna draw closer to you on your terms, not my terms. I wanna build that capacity to hear you to see what you're doing, to have a heart that rightly understands and responds to you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to grow with you. I want to stop explaining away all the stuff that I have been doing. I want to, I, I want to clean up with you. And I can't do it without you. So it's a time to take stock. And, and the wisdom of these holidays is important to grasp. If you start doing it in advance, rather than waiting till the end of the holiday or the day after, it goes well with you. So if you humble yourself and, and use tonight and tomorrow and Sunday as a continuation of time, I hope you've been spending examining yourself and saying, Lord, show me what, what you want to touch. Show me... What's on your agenda right now? Open my eyes, open my heart, let me see. And then when he shows us, we say yes, Lord, rather than, well, that stinks. No, we say yes. 
And then we move in that direction. Even if what we're saying is, Lord, this is going to be so hard. I need your help. If you do this, then you'll be well prepared for the holidays. And when the shofar is sounded on Rosh Hashanah, and you hear the blowing of the shofar, you really will be spiritually awake. And the rescuing power and delivering power of Messiah Yeshua will rally towards you and work for good in your life, in all of our lives. So get ready. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your gentleness. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your covenantal faithfulness to us. Let it be, Lord, that we do see, we do hear, and our hearts do understand what's important to you so that we could walk with you now, even more so tomorrow, and even more in the days ahead. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Hey, aren't you glad for, for Derek serving tonight, leading us in our Hebrew prayers? Thank you, sir. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navei lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navei lecha. V'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you and keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom, his peace, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.